Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bat-Ass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series show podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. This is Bat-Ass Beyond. We're talking about Batman Beyond. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me, as always, is Sean Murphy. How you doing, Sean? So, uh, my wife has been working with Dynamite lately, um, putting together a six-issue series, and um, she's starting to take writing comics a lot more. She wants to get better at it, basically, right? Mm-hmm. So um, she's been diving into my old books because she's tried to read a lot of other comics, but she has a hard time following um, stories and stuff. It's mm-hmm. just really not her, her, her medium. But she can read my stuff because my storytelling tends to be pretty clear. Um, and she's paying attention to how I you know, use dialogue and how much I can fit on a page and um, stuff like that. So she uh, comes to me the other day. She's like, man, I can't believe how much stuff you're able to do in your stuff your your pages and i go what do you mean she goes like you wrote a a a, a page so it was just a big uh, montage and you had these like mini scenes happening in the montage like i don't know how to write that for an artist and i said yeah it's kind of hard because you know me being the writer and artist i can sort of mentally um visualize all these things so some of the stuff that i do you might not be able to do and she had a bunch of other questions for me and she you she was like Man, I had no idea you were so good at this. <laughs> I'm like, I started laughing. I'm like, fucking the three houses, uh, a lot of money in the bank, uh, art sales, all the shit, Eisner Awards, whatever the hell you want to throw at me, my own Batman universe, all the money, all the food I put on the table, and only now you're like, hey, you're really good at this. <laughs> Gotta stay humble, man. Gotta stay humble. I, I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I, I Do you think a lot of... Well, we can talk about this later, <laughs> but I was going to ask, like, do you think a lot of spouses are really involved with creators' careers or not? Like, what do you think the norm is? I uh, I don't know what the norm is. Um, I, I I know my 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 girlfriend uh, is amazed at the stuff that I that I that I do. Not necessarily the quality, but also she tells me that as well. But um, just like the number of things that I have to know how to do. Right. And I mean, she's a she's a um, scientist, a biologist. So I throw all that stuff right back at her. So I think it's just being out of um, looking in on somebody's uh, career that's different than your own. That's a completely different uh, wheelhouse entirely. I think is there's a certain um, aspect of just really not not understanding how someone could possibly do any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. We'll dig in more uh, after we review the episodes. I don't want to derail us too much at the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Apologies for my cold. Uh, I have COVID. I'm getting over it. But uh, yeah, this is. I'm like 80% back to normal. But this is how my voice is going to sound for the next hour. (laughs) Yeah, I also got COVID right around the same time you did. Completely unrelated. So I weirdly ended up working out. So we both uh, (laughs) on your birthday. (laughs) Yeah, on my birthday. So uh, welcome to two guys sniffling and coughing their way through two episodes of Batman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those two episodes are Disappearing Ink and A Touch of Curare. So we're going to take a quick break, uh, blow our noses, and uh, we'll be back with Disappearing Ink. Okay, Disappearing Ink, written by Stan Berkowitz, 
directed by Kurt Gaeta. And in this one, Ink is freed by a lovesick worker at the cryogenics plant where she is being held. Trapped in her mutated form, she seeks to attain the chemicals that will, will allow her to once again reca- regain her human shape and get revenge on Batman and the mysterious old man who aids him. So the guy who is um, uh, being uh, creepily infatuated with Ink, uh, who has got to be the single most horniest character in all of the DC universe, animated universe, mm-hmm. in, in a very creepy kind of way. Uh, I feel like if they hadn't already used um, the J.F. Sebastian guy from uh, Blade Runner in the original oh. series, they would have yeah. used him for this guy. But since they couldn't use him, they got the next best thing, which is William H. Macy. He has such a recognizable voice, too. I I was surprised that they used him because i just don't see him as this character at all real oh i i feel like if you're looking for a dumpy loser he's like high on the list <laughs> yeah you know you're not wrong <laughs> you yeah know, I, I don't know what i was expecting the guy his character from fargo i think would be would fit right in with uh with this guy yeah and i was gonna say he looks nothing like the animated character no he really doesn't that but much. neither does the guy from uh Plate runner. Yeah, yeah. He, they gave him they gave him some nice uh, bags under his eyes and uh, you know a shitty yeah. apartment and stuff. I uh, I did um drug addict looking design for yes. Batman Beyond Universe. I did like that he uh, having him kind of be lonely and projecting onto Ink, who's frozen in this cryogenic. Uh, I don't know if this was just a regular cryogenics place or if this was supposed to be like the prison from Demolition Man. Um, but it was, uh, I, I liked, I liked that, that dynamic of him kind of projecting onto her and kind of like a reverse Mr. Freeze and Nora kind of thing. Yeah. And they even get the freeze gun in this one. Well, I guess with her, it's always good to bring the freeze gun with you. Right. Yes. Yeah. As long as you don't break it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised Batman doesn't have some kind of a freezing Batarang or something. There's only, I think there's only two Batarangs. There's a normal one and then there's this electrical one. Is which that... I, is that not? Oh, I thought that the one that he gives him in this was a freeze. It's a it's an electrical one. Is the one that he gives him? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Blue is electric because I used them in my book in this last issue, uh, and they're cool. But I'm surprised there isn't more colors. You know, more varieties. Yeah, it seems like a, a the pretty open road there as far as uh, how Mega Man you want to get with his battering power set. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, what did you think of this one overall? Um. I, uh, ooh, I, I, him creeping on her had a, uh, what's it called when you want to fuck dead bodies? (laughs) (laughs) Necrophilia. (laughs) Thank you. It had a necrophilia uh, vibe to me that kind of creeped me out. And, um, it's problematic. I know he's the villain, so it's whatever. But, uh, I liked at the end, at least, where he got a taste of his own medicine. I thought that balanced out really well. Yeah. 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 The, uh, the girl at the end is, um, uh, her voice is the actress who plays Lucy on uh, Twin Peaks, which who also has a very recognizable voice. If you know that actress, you pick it up pretty pretty quickly. Um, yeah, he, the horrible horrible uh, fate for that guy though, being turned into a mush mush monster that looks so much yeah. worse than whatever Ink is. I was surprised by how, what what they got away with as far as it's not violent. It's it's not, I guess it's kind of horror and violence. It is body horror, you could argue. Um, yeah, yeah. Like all the rules they have set up to protect kids' TV, I thought his reveal was pretty 
gr- gruesome for a kid show. Um, yeah. And also in this next episode, a lot of cops get flung off the top of the train yes. and just die. <laughs> they <laughs> they don't show them landing in pools. Yeah, the the, I was going to say that. Yeah, they didn't show the the requisite uh, showing them <laughs> splash into the water or anything. Yeah, at this point, they're like, yeah, the kids know they survive. They've got helmets on. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the guy in this one um, reminded me a bit, th- that reveal of his uh, mutated form reminded me a bit of the, the melting guy in RoboCop who gets blasted with the uh, oh, uh, yeah. toxic waste. Oh yeah! Before definitely. he gets exploded by the car, that's what that's what they should have done. They should have had Terry hit him with the Batmobile <laughs> and just explode him like a, a can of peas. Oh, <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Um, this is oh, which which one? We had Barbara Gordon in it. Was that this episode? That or was the next, the, one? the next one. Okay, sorry. Um, um yeah. oh, what do you think of Ink? Like, would you do you think Ink is a character you would want to draw? Um, I don't see why not. I think I think it's a character better suited to animation. Clearly, yeah. Because uh, I yeah. thought the animation in this was was really great. Like the uh, the fight scenes were really cool. That one scene where um she is kind of uh, enveloping Terry, and then he rocket rocket shoes his way like right out of like explodes out of her. I thought that was really really cool. Yeah. Would you want to draw that though? Because that's like drawing dark water and splash, and you know a lot of artists hate drawing water and drawing blood effects and stuff. It's just very time consuming. It's like drawing broken glass. Yeah, I, I don't I don't mind that stuff too much. I I I think I dislike drawing water more than I dr- dislike drawing this kind of stuff because water has such a specific look to it and specific way reflections and 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 movement works with this stuff it's just you know bust out the toothbrush and go to town start splattering stuff all over the place <laughs> yeah you could use some like um Sinkavich shortcuts to uh give you a lot of traction yeah sure. i think that the toughest thing about drawing ink would probably be um making sure your light sources work mm-hmm. well enough to to throw highlights if you're going to put highlights on her to make her shine a little bit, that stuff can get a little tricky if it doesn't uh, if it doesn't line up and, and uh, make it look like you're making a shape instead of just uh, white for the sake of white. Yeah, like drawing her could be really easy because she's mostly blacked out. You don't have a complicated costume. One of her arms is sort of amorphous, so it could be in any shape you want. It's mm. kind of like a zigzag shape. Uh, and like you said, you know, uh, lighting the black so you have the the shine off certain angles you know that's that's not that big of a deal um as long as you're willing to draw her seeping into cracks and under doorways and you know exploding into ink droplets when she gets punched or whatever like that's probably the only hard part about drawing her yeah you know her face like the circle on her face is asymmetrical so it's like uh only covering one of her eyes if you think of it that way but without a full face, you, it doesn't really work. Like, it's hard to get a sense of where her head is actually pointed because it's not like a circle that's dead center, if, if that makes sense, you know? Oh, is that what? Because I, I guess I always kind of a, it took it as wherever the circle was is wherever she was looking. So uh, No. No, so okay. when she's wearing a hat on, the hat's facing forward and the circle is sort of off kilter, if that's mm. the right word. 
Yeah, it's asymmetrical. It's annoying. And uh, yeah, that would drive me nuts as an artist. <laughs> <laughs> I would just move it. I'm just, I'm not doing the thing off to the side. Yeah, I don't. I'm going to draw an eye somewhere. <laughs> I, think, I think you're honing in on a, on a detail that's small enough that if you were just to be like, you know what? The circle is where her face goes. I don't think anybody would question that. Even as a kid, it bothered me. And I, I don't know why I picked up on it and just couldn't get over it for a long time. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't mention it the first time we saw her. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that stuff is going to stick out the, the closer that you look if we're analyzing it from uh, design aesthetic ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also, I really like her human form, too. It's like it's a very kind of femme fatale kind of look, which which suits the character with the, the wavy black hair and stuff. I think that's that's mm-hmm. a cool look. I think she looks great. I think she looks like Princess Jasmine, the way her face is animated. She's got oh, kind sure. of a, okay. a longer that. nose. Mm-hmm. Looks good. Yeah. So the uh, this was an episode that, uh, as we've been watching through this season, I've I've realized that I've seen most of season one before. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be interested to see how much of season two I've seen. I, I feel like it's probably not as much as the first season. Um, but this one always stood out to me because of the robot Batman suit. Because I was, uh, this came out in, what was this, like 1998 or something like that? Um, And I was, uh, my favorite comic at the time was Kingdom Come, the Alex Ross and Mark Wade book, uh, uh, Elseworlds story. And uh, Batman has a suit in that that looks very much like (laughs) the suit in this episode. And so when I saw this episode, I was very excited to see that suit. Uh, uh, show up in, in some form. It doesn't have the gigantic clunky wings that the uh, the Kingdom Come suit has, but it's it's pretty close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's funny. I don't know why. I jumped on Kingdom Come as well, and I didn't know a lot about the DC Universe or any of like the, the Easter eggs or the backstories. Mm-hmm. I think it was just Alex Ross's paintings were amazing. Um, I even had the book on tape where you could listen to... Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it had different voice actors, and it was it was cool. I mean, you know, I was seventeen or eighteen. So, um, yeah, I don't you just, know. I mean, Alex, you Ross, and you and a like, bunch of your college age friends piling into your, you know, <laughs> Honda. Let's put some. Let's put on a tape, Sean. What do you got? <laughs> I did. Yeah, I had a Honda CRX with two seats, and uh, I actually had friends in the back. It was just basically like a a Honda pickup truck. <laughs> oh, nice, and, uh, nice. Yeah. Poor Greg had to sit back there because he was the smallest. <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple of dudes uh, cruising around, listening to the, to the audio book you know, of Kingdom Come. <laughs> you know, getting laid. <laughs> hey, ladies, you have heard about uh, Alex Ross's latest masterpiece? Because we have it right here in tape form. Pulling up in front of the club with your subwoofer yeah. just booming out. You roll down the windows and it's like, Batman took his steps out and confronted Superman as he was fighting Shazam. It's like, oh yeah, now, no, now we're talking. We didn't even have back. We didn't even have back seats in that car. Not that we would have needed them. <laughs> <laughs> no, they never listened to that stuff. I mean, my friends in uh, high school didn't really have any interest in my comic or art stuff at all. It was sure, just, yeah. I kept that shit on the side and didn't really talk about it. <laughs> like they knew I was an artist and I was always, you know, winning school awards and stuff. But they were happy for me not to bring it up. Yeah, so, yeah, it's mostly fi- it's fine. <laughs> mostly, mostly the same. I, I think I was known in high school as the art person and the comic book person, and I was never yeah. like criticized for that. But also, nobody really asked me about it that often. So, 
Yeah. I uh I had um I knew some people, some kids who were into magic and stuff at the time. And they were into comics. And I was like, I don't want to hang out with comic book people. Look how nerdy they are. They play <laughs> magic. Uh, so I was very judgmental of comic book people. And I tried not to be like them or look like them or anything like that. So I you know, go with my friends to work out because they were athletes and stuff. And I just kind of tried to hide it. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And I, when I went to my 20-year uh, reunion, um, all those magic kids are, of course, comic fans. And they're like, hey, how you doing? Man? I love your Batman, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh, of course you are my reader. Of course, I don't know why I didn't think of that ahead of time. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. And they're awesome, and I was wrong to be such a dick. And if they're listening <laughs> right now, I apologize <laughs> if I was ever be to them in the cafeteria. <laughs> uh, speaking of being a dick, um, Bruce is kind of a, a cocky asshole to, to Terry in this episode, where Terry's Terry's taking the initiative and like trying to figure out ways to stop ink from getting into the cave and bruce is just like come over here to the computer you fucking idiot yeah i have the list right here asshole yeah, <laughs> yeah it, he didn't seem to be any more uh any worse than he usually is was he or was he i don't know, I don't know. it just it just seemed to stand out because terry was so serious it seemed like um it seemed like when a kid is trying to legitimately be helpful and their dad is just watching them going like i i understand what you're trying to do but you're really not doing anything the way it should be done huh. sounds like a personal story clay <laughs> i'm sure sure more than once i've i've come up with an idea when i was trying to help my dad and be like well what if we do this and blah 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 and he's just like yeah or we could just you know put a nail in it and that would fix it and like yeah that would work too you know what? It's flipped now because uh, doesn't he suggest annoying things to you? Like uh, you're driving around, and he's like, "Someone should start a company called Your Sign Here." <laughs> what, so, did you have a story like that? Uh, yes, self storage. <laughs> self storage. Yes, free free advertising <laughs> across the country. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, okay, sure, Dad. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, see. Okay. So this is the, this is the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. So as far as my career goes. So that was back when I was doing dead meat, my zombie comic. Um, one of the things that my dad suggested to me is that I should, I should have a book called self storage because it was free publicity all over the world, all over the country with all these signs up and everywhere, blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, it could be like, you know, zombies, if do whatever you want, but inside like a storage shed, I'm like, yeah, okay, no, no thanks. I, I appreciate the idea, but it's not what, I, what I'm interested in at the moment. Cut to like three years later, and I'm at the New York Comic Con, and I walk over, and I see, I don't remember the company, I see a comic book, I see a comic book called Self Storage, which is a zombie comic book written by someone named Clay McLeod. Wow. Yes. That's not your dad's uh, pseudonym? No. No, it's not. Actually, hold on. I think I have the book right here, actually, because I just found it. In you bought it? Yeah, of course I bought it. <laughs> is it better than what you were going to do? Uh, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, you were never going to do anything with it. You rolled your eyes. At That's that true. Idea. Yeah, I mean, clearly this person took the idea and saw the potential of all the free. I can't find it. Uh, all the potential of the free <laughs> advertising and just ran with it. Um, but the fact that it was 
so exactly the idea with like a name as close to mine that just seemed like it was some sort of doppelganger. It really freaked me out. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty. Uh, that's one of those things. Like, I don't. I'm not a religious man, but that's if I was, I'm like, ooh, that's got to be a sign, you know? Yeah, and so I bought it, and I just because I needed to have it to to prove that it existed, and uh, I absolutely never told my father about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should tell him. <laughs> uh, maybe, he, maybe he doesn't even remember. No, he re- he remembers. It comes up enough oh, that so he remembers. <laughs> is he? Oh, every time he sees a sign, he's still like, "Hey, give her, uh, give any more thoughts of my idea?" Not as much, <laughs> not as much anymore. But for a while, yes. What you need is that story to have a bad ending. So I don't know who created this comic, uh, but you should wait till they're arrested for something, <laughs> or they're like turn out to be a pedophile, and then uh-huh. you tell your dad. You're like, and look what happened to him, dad. Yep. If that happens, if the writer of this comic goes to jail for insider trading or something like that, then yes, I will. I will. I will show the the alternate future that I could have been could have been living through. <laughs> You know, I'll be honest, man. I I kind of hope I meet your dad one day because I kind of want to be the one to tell him this. I knew I shouldn't <laughs> have told you this story. <laughs> Can't trust you with anything. Oh man, hilarious! <laughs> um, All right. Did you uh, did you notice that Bruce shows up for the final fight dressed basically as the Shadow? I did. Yeah, I, I like. It. I yeah. I really appreciate that Bruce is is uh, kind of a a, a nerd. And he, uh, mm-hmm. by way of the people who write and design what he wears and does, because he's anytime he's always like, well, I gotta, I gotta go out in a fight. I may, I guess, I have to put on the gray ghost costume. There's nothing else I can wear. And then he shows up for this thing, dressed as the shadow. He's just looking for excuses to dress up at this point. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. He's got um, a secret room in the Bat Cave that's just sweet cosplay costumes he's built for <laughs> other heroes. Um. Well, when uh, the Grey Ghost episode from season one, when uh, he brought Trent into the Batcave and showed him his uh, nerdy little altar mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, Grey Ghost, I thought that was really amazing. As a kid, that blew me away. Just it humanized Bruce and it made him so he's just, it felt like he's just like me in some ways, you know? Yeah, yeah. But with, but without a parent. Yeah, they, uh, and, you know, having having Adam West do the voice and stuff, it's it's... You know, you can't. You don't get much better than that. Um, I admit I did not like Bruce's Batman cyber costume. Um, I'm generally not a fan of big symbols on not only a symbol on a chest, but it extends out past the shoulders. Mm. Or uh, let me let me word it better. I don't like lazy costume design where you're so in, intent on slapping a symbol on a character that it takes over the costume and looks so impractical that the character can't move. Mm-hmm. And that's oh, where yeah. this one falls in. Like, there's no way that he can put his hands over his head. You have this, like, big shield from his belly button to three feet past each shoulder. It's, like, it's very limiting. And I know you want the bat symbol there, but, yeah. I mean, for the whole fight, animators must have been like, how is he going to move his arm? I mean, he can only kind of move a little bit. <laughs> but that <laughs> shit really bothers me in comics. And uh, I know in animation... You have more, everything's kind of plastic in a way, so you can bend it a little bit. Right, right. I don't know why. It just really fucking bothers me when they do that. So I hate that costume. <laughs> I always, it always reminded me a bit of um, the only time they've ever tried to do something like that in the practical costume is the Michael Keaton Batman. 
because his cowl kind of comes down and splays out into those points that go over his shoulder and uh, and kind of wrap around the symbol, and it's where the cape comes from. Mm-hmm. The, um, yeah. Every other time, they, they just tuck the cape into the neck. And I thought it was a really interesting... I've always thought it was an interesting design choice because uh, it it forces the cape because it because it's coming off of these like points uh, over the shoulder. It forces the cape to hang over his shoulders, and I, I think I I feel like I've brought this up before at some point. But every other Batman always has the cape back over how do I, uh, back off of his shoulders, mm-hmm. and I and I could never understand why they do that because like the whole point of the Batman cape is to make him like this shadowy silhouette. And they always mm-hmm. now put it back off the shoulders because you mm-hmm. need to be able to see his chest and arms for some reason, which if you were Batman, you would <laughs> absolutely wouldn't want people to see your chest. Well, just the symbol, but you know what I mean? Well, they go back and forth in this. Like there's shots of with the cloak, we'll call it where it's like, you know, coming straight down over his chest. Mm-hmm. He puts his arms down. He's just a black shape. You don't see any of the gray, right? Or if he's ready to fight, he'll put his arms up and the cape will sort of get flipped over his shoulders so he can move sure. his elbows around. Sure. I think they, there's a way to do both of it. Yeah. There's a way to do both. Yeah, I think I think there is. I'm just I've just always been surprised that in the most the modern live action stuff, they always drape pull the cape back off the shoulders. And you know, it kind of it makes him look more um it makes him seem less uh, mythological, kind of, because he's supposed to be just kind of like a shape, for the most part, that that in the shadows. But they always make him more of like a he, he's ready for he can move in any direction. He could see always ready to punch somebody. I don't know. I just yeah. I like the I like the shadow Batman more than I like the uh, tactical Batman. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. We've we've kind of talked about this before. You yeah. got SWAT team Batman with his arms, you know, and then you've got the um, the phantom type of look where mm-hmm. he's, yeah, totally covered and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I never, do you ever feel comfortable giving him a cape that's really, really, really long? You know, you take creative license. So I was looking at uh, Tim Sale's art the other day. Tim Sale is an artist who did uh, Long Halloween who mm-hmm. just passed away like three days ago. Yeah, very, very um, sadly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was kind of going through his old stuff and kind of like reminiscing because I sort of knew him a little bit. And uh, he drew the cape so long. It was like twice as long as Bruce Wayne's height. So it had mm-hmm. to be like a 12-foot-long cape. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're perched on top of a cathedral or whatever, a gargoyle, it works. And uh, at least Tim made it work. And I have never felt comfortable going that nuts with the cape because I feel like readers are going to be like, how the hell does he walk around with a cape so long, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I've always been chicken shit. And I've just given him like a, you know, six or seven-foot cape. Well, you know, that's the magic of comic books is it does you don't have to wonder how he walks around. He just does. Well, you know, it, maybe it goes back to this issue of Image I read years ago. It was called Stupid Comics mm-hmm. Image. Do you remember this? No. It was tongue-in-cheek, and it was, uh, instead of Spawn, they called it Spoon. And it was oh, like a uh, I think parody. I that, yeah. Yeah, so Spawn, every single panel, his cape got longer and longer, and finally it started raining, and he wasn't able to climb buildings because he was dragging, <laughs> like, you know, a stage curtain from his back, uh-huh, and it was, uh-huh. like, wrapped over buildings, and 
And they went really far with it, like in a Mad Magazine type of thing. And I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. Why the hell would he need a cape so long? So mm-hmm. maybe that's just sort of stuck in my brain. Yeah. Well, I mean, I always think of it like, you know, anytime Homer Simpson has a watch, he has a watch on his wrist for the shot before he needs the watch and the shot mm-hmm. where he needs the watch. <laughs> and then it's gone for the rest of the episode. And it's kind of the same yep. thing where it's like, yeah, if you know, if you want to do a, if you want to do a, a dramatic cape shot, <clears throat> do a big dramatic cape shot. And the next scene when he's walking around, it could be like just down to his calves. I don't think anybody's going to care. Um, yeah. The magic of comics. <laughs> and also, I mean, That's good. <clears throat> I, I'd be interested to see how that works. I mean, I, I'm sure it would look great, but like, I, your Batman doesn't seem like the type to have a super long cape so maybe just like stylistically it wouldn't match but uh yeah. but because i mean you know you've got like tim sale very very stylized uh kelly kelly jones you want to talk about a big cape kelly jones <laughs> kelly jones's batman is like 90 percent cape <laughs> to the yeah. point to the point where i actually don't know what the anatomy of batman looks like because it's so yeah. angular and weird and, and awesome and uh, McFarlane obviously has that that great uh, Batman cover where he's got the like the Spawn type cape with the big. You know which yeah. was the was the one cape edition that I never quite got into. It was they it was a I think it was like in the McFarlane was doing it, so I guess it would have been in the eighties. But then other people were doing it in the nineties. Was giving Batman like horns on the shoulders from the cape, you know? So it's mm. like yeah. kind of mimicking the bat symbol kind of thing. I never yeah. really thought that that looked very good. It always kind of looked uh, a little bit too much. Yeah, Todd, uh, I think Sinkavich did that, or Todd talked about seeing Sinkavich do it, and he thought it looked really cool, so mm-hmm. he's been doing it ever since. And um, when I saw Todd say that, I actually started doing it on my Batman sometimes. If um, you just have like a shoulder shot, of, you know, head and shoulders, whatever, talking heads panel, it really does add a nice shape. If you could just get like an edge just to stick out, it points back to his head, you know, from the mm. shoulder, if that makes sense. It yeah. just makes him more pointy and dangerous, especially uh, with Terry's Beyond suit. I added a few more um, sharp points and stuff. Um, I find it kind of helpful, actually, uh, now that I started doing it, but it makes no sense. It just, it's there to look cool, but if you're not into it, you're not into it. I mean, Azrael has them like crazy, and you're oh, a sure. big ad- Well, that's <laughs> Azrael. Okay, sorry. That's a, that's a different character completely. Um, no, Azrael too. The original Azrael costume also bugged me because he has the same giant bat shape out to his shoulders. Oh, it's yeah, a big yeah. piece of metal, and like, there's no way he's going to be able to put his hands up. Yeah. Magic. Magic of comics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like when I redesigned him, I'm like, how am I going to keep the shape of Azrael but make it so he can move his arms around a little bit more plausibly? Yeah. I mean, as long as you keep that leg pouch on. You, you, yeah, you're yeah, good to yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't, I like in that in that sense as an accent. Every now and then, I don't think I have a problem with it. But like when it's just a standard feature of the costume, where like every time right. he's standing around, he's got these big horns on his shoulders. It just that that to me feels like the bulky kind of thing that you're talking about with the with the big bat symbol. Where it's like I don't know, that yeah. just seems kind of impractical to have these big <laughs> big hooks on the side of his shoulders. <laughs> Yeah, God forbid he tries to like roll his neck out a bit and he stabs himself on the side of the face with yeah. <laughs> with his with his shoulder. Um, what would you want to draw on this one? Um, you know, so the lab assistant is helping Ink fight and he has this uh 
mechanical arm. It's, he's using like a virtual reality type of device where he's moving a little arm, but a big machine mechanical arm is moving around, above mm-hmm. his head, and mm-hmm. he's sort of. And I thought that would be a really cool pinup to do a Batman fighting him, and you could do the splash of Batman coming down from the top. And you have this like nerdy guy who's in this sort of virtual reality headset or I don't know, using like a mechanical arm. And then you have this giant mechanical arm attacking Batman. Like yeah. I'm sort of a big fan of drawing um, like hazardous equipment for some reason. I, I really get into that stuff. So that's probably what I would draw. Oh, interesting. What about okay. you? Um, <clears throat> I actually think I would want to draw the scene where, where, t- where Batman explodes out of ink. I was thinking that. I was like, that would be cool to do like a do a page where he's fighting ink and he gets sucked into sucked inside and it you know kind of at the the last thing looks like he might be done for and then you get a, tur- a page turn a nice splash page of him just bl- blowing out from the inside i think that would be really yeah. cool yeah that's fair what would you give this one for a rating um <clears throat> i don't know it's actually kind of tough cuz i like it's i i don't really know if there's enough story here to be a 4 for me but at the same time the animation and the action is really fun, and I I do like how weird the story is in regards to Ink and this uh, uh, the William H Macy character and stuff. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. What, what would you give it? I'm at a three. Yeah, but they're all kind of blending together, though. There's yeah, that's all, true. Yeah, all I mean, nothing's really standing out about this uh, season. Except for a few episodes. Mostly right, it's right. just like, yeah, that's another three. That's another three. Sure. Bad guy of the week, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, there really hasn't been anything that's made me kind of stop and go, wow. Oh, that was that was really good. Like, it's yeah. the, the, the standouts so far has been more animation than it has been story, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Seeing the bat suit do cool things is, you know, go invisible and all that. It's, it's pretty fun. And, you know, the Batmobile and the dog and. Mm-hmm, the designs mm-hmm. are nice, but uh, yeah, the writing is just a little too simple. They they missed like a each episode is kind of missing a subplot or something. Yeah, yeah, which will be interesting to talk about the next one because I feel like they they give you a little a, more there. There's a little yeah. more there, but it's also just like I I don't know. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm curious to feel to see how you feel about it because part of me feels like yeah. it's just just the right amount. Um, uh huh. But part of me feels like, well, they probably could go into this more, but I don't know if I would want them to. But anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, yeah, I think I know I'm, what you're saying. I think I'm also going to give this one a three. Uh, so, yeah, that's going to do mm-hmm. it for Disappearing Ink. And we'll take a quick break and be back with a touch of Curare. Sam, get back. Okay, A Touch of Curare, written by Hilary J. Bader, directed by Dan Reba. And in this one, a deadly assassin named Curare is sent after D.A. Sam Young, husband of Commissioner Barbara Gordon. Batman's attempts to protect Young lead to conflicts with Gordon and some surprising revelations about the past. Uh, I This one I didn't remember. Um yeah, and I was I was surprised right away to see Barbara had a husband, 
because I didn't remember ever seeing Barbara's husband. Uh, I didn't remember this Kirari character at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what, what are your what are your thoughts of, of this one or memories of it? Um, yeah, I forgot she was married. Uh, I like that she was married to a black dude. I think that's cool. Um, shows woke before it's time, <laughs> I guess you could say. Uh, I like that she's the one protecting him and all that. I think it's a good, uh, um, it's for a kid show, putting that stuff in there, mm-hmm. not leaning into it too much, I think is really good. Um, yeah, so the League of Assassins, is this different than um, Rachel Ghoul's thing? Uh, I don't think so, uh, because I was looking up this character, Kirari, to see if she had ever shown up and everything. She only shows up in yeah. one other um episode and it does list her as uh it lists her as a member of the society of assassins um okay. we've had this discussion before because there's two at least is there right? uh i think so I, I'm, I'm not totally sure um and then we have the nolan verse where uh um liam neeson's character was part of the league of assassins or a league, society league of, of league of shadows was in the, in okay, the, fuck. the Nolan movies, yes. <laughs> All right. Um, I don't know if I remember everything correctly then. Uh, let me let me, let me me look up here. Um, so, I mean, if the penalty for failing to kill someone is you yourself get killed, and we've seen this um, league before, I feel like Rachel Ghoul and his daughter failed to kill Batman. So wouldn't they have been killed? I mean, maybe it doesn't count if you run the run the league. Oh, yeah, it doesn't account to the bosses and his daughter. <laughs> okay, so um, this seems to imply that it is different than the League of Assassins. It's kind of like, you know, the American Football League and the, and the National Football League. Because uh-huh. um, uh, the, next, the next episode she shows up in, which is in uh, season... I don't know what season it is, but uh, it's, it's an episode called The Final Cut, and it says, um, <clears throat> it's pa- uh, a private jet touches down briefly at an airport to make a minor repair. Its passenger, its passenger is the master assassin, head of the Society of Assassins. He is nervous about touching down. He fears to, his fears prove to be well-grounded. Curari sneaks on board. Uh, basically, Curari comes back. She's killed all the other assassins, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. <laughs> and she's nice. uh, trying to kill the master assassin. So it does seem to be a different group than, uh, okay. than the League of Assassins. That's cool. All right. Yeah, I liked that the I thought the ending was great, the the button at the end yes. where she's escaping yeah. and then suddenly there's another sword. That perfect ending. Yeah. Uh, I love the uh the cafe scene with Barbara and um Terry where he got some backstory on what happened with her and Bruce and sort of the suggested romance. I hate that. It's still creepy that she, Yeah, I so I like that it's introducing a subplot. I don't like her being in the Batman. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, apparently, so they imply it here. I guess there's an episode in season three where they pretty explicitly say that they were together at some point. But the the only reason that I, this didn't make me throw up in my mouth completely here, is that the way that they kind of imply it is that she was more into him than he was into her. So it seemed like it was, you know. Girl Crush would be okay with yeah, it. Like, I don't like Batman. Yeah, responding. like I, I don't mind her being in love with Batman, but Batman under no yeah. circumstances should reciprocate that. Yeah, um, I don't know when that started. Who came up with that idea first? I feel like it's the cartoons. I, 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 I don't know if I've ever seen it anywhere other than the cartoon. 
Um, I'm talking about the uh, Frank Miller one, too. The Frank Miller one. Didn't he do... Uh, there was a cartoon based off of... Um, what was it? Are you thinking they of a, uh, a, Killing Joke? Yeah. The cartoon threw in a Batman Batgirl romance in the yeah. first scene, I thought. Yeah, it's like the first half of the movie. It's terrible. Yeah, okay. Um, so that wasn't the first time. Obviously, this stuff existed first. Mm-hmm. So was there any time when uh, Batgirl in the comics was... Or Batman and Batgirl were together in the comics before this? I don't not, know. Not that I can think of. I, I've never known that to be a thing. I've, I've, I've only known Batgirl to be involved with uh, Dick. And more recently, I think they might have done a thing where she might have briefly been romantically linked to Jason, but I'm not totally sure. Well, if this is the first... So, you're right. The show suggested it. But it suggested Batgirl had a crush, which kind of makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. But Bruce didn't respond to it. This is the first time in this universe that it goes further and says that they were actually a couple. Mm-hmm. And since then, there's been Batman, Batgirl, uh, ship fans out there, or whatever, stands. I don't know what you call them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if that all began with this episode, then fuck this episode. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, like I like, I, I'm going to give this a four out of five, but I just hate that 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 they chose to do that. You know, like it's, I like the scene. I think it's well handled. The dialogue is fine. The pacing, like, there's nothing wrong with. It's just the choice that they made to do that. I don't agree with that choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, you know, honestly, the scene itself. This is where my conflict comes in because. I'm I'm fine with it, I guess, but I I love just the simple uh, bit where she's in the Batcave and she says she looks at her costume and she says, "I see you sewed up the bullet holes." Like I feel like that tells me everything I need to know about what happened with them. Um, and I don't, I, I mean, I guess it's nice to have more backstory, but that that moment plays so well and and resonates so much to me that I almost don't want more than that. That's a good point. I And I actually thought that it was really funny the way t- Terry didn't know. For some reason, I thought he knew that she was Batgirl and he was just doing this like, but what the, but <laughs> wait, she's Batgirl. What do we do? <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like, I think we've, fun. we've talked about it briefly before where we weren't sure if, if she knew or sorry, we weren't sure if he knew, like clearly she knew what was going on, but right. we, we didn't know if, if he knew and clearly he didn't. I you what I, I uh, sorry I was just gonna say what I did like about that scene with uh, no I guess it's in the same scene it's in the Batcave scene is uh, when Terry says when she accuses him of, of basically recruiting and Terry says it's what I wanted and she responds by saying that's what we all thought at the fir- at the beginning I li- I really like yeah. that bit because I I feel like you get a lot of stuff in that scene that is. Yeah. Uh, tells you a lot about their relationship and where it's gone and stuff and yeah i don't I don't really know if you need that that coffee coffee scene you know i it's i like that scene just because i like drawing cafes sure, and characters sure. drinking coffee and talking uh i thought it was a nice set piece yeah. the way it was designed from the outside a little blade runner cafe so that might be why i like it but i agree with everything you're saying yeah. <laughs> i guess i wish they had a different scene there yeah, I, I mean, I might just be. I I tend to like less of that stuff. Less is more with that stuff for me generally. Um, so that might just be personal taste. But uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I 
I I like the I like this episode. I like again. I thought the animation was great. Um, even Kirari, I I thought was a pretty good villain, even though she doesn't say anything. But I don't really think she has to. She kind of serves yeah. her purpose pretty well. Um, exactly, and is uh, unbeatable in a way that's believable and fun. And yeah. uh, I always love a good. Uh, motorized factory sequence for a climax. So, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think like, do I want to draw this part? All these like pipes and stuff going everywhere. I don't know. That could be kind of a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what, what would you draw? I think I might take another swing at Kirari's costume. Uh, mm-hmm. Like it makes sense for the animated series, but I don't. I don't know if she's ever shown up in anything else. But I don't know. I. It feels like it could be feels a little dated at this point maybe could do something a little bit uh more interesting than just dressing right. her as like a uh murderous belly dancer <laughs> yeah. i um i like it I'm, i don't know why i'm a kind of a sucker for uh egyptian themed mm-hmm. uh costumes if you can call it that it had a little bit of a moon knight vibe to it yeah i can um, see that yeah the sword, I thought, oh, that's kind of weak. But when you realize it's been sharpened to like a molecular level, so it could cut through his costume, like, all right, well, that that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I don't know how the hell she throws it and catches it, but you know, I'm not an assassin like her. Yeah, um, I have no idea. yeah. The broad shoulders, the blue skin. I'm curious you don't have to draw her face, which is nice. That's true. Yeah, I'm <laughs> curious. Uh, she only shows up one other time. I guess she's shown up in the in the comic adaptations, but I don't know mm-hmm. if. Uh, if they've ever explained what's going on with her skin or her face, because Terry pulls her mask off at one point, and he kind of recoils as though she's got some sort of yeah. disfigurement or something. But they never, they never tell you what's going on there. Yeah, I'm going through um, Curare images on Google, and I'm trying to find if there's any. There's some cosplay people doing some stuff. Um, yeah, there's only one costume for her, basically. Yeah, no one ever revamped it or did anything new with it. Yeah, according to the uh, DCAU wiki, um, the only person to see her face is Terry. He only saw her face for a split second. Uh, she might possibly be bald. Um, concept yeah. art was produced by the animators showing her unmasked. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that seems to be it. They, there's no explanation of, of who she is, really, or, or what's, what, what the deal with her is. Right. Huh. Yep. <clears throat> She actually, cool. I mean, I did like that she was so low tech and yeah, she was actually yeah. kicking a lot of ass in a high tech city. Yeah. You know, I think um, if if we had had maybe a couple more issues, I think she might have been an interesting character to use for the Red Hood book because, you know, she doesn't really have to say anything. You know, she has a very singular minded goal and would mm-hmm. be an interesting villain to pit gan and jason against especially as as one who would be uh way outside the league of of uh of uh dime store robin and uh busted up old jason um (laughs) like if she know if she had been killing people or or assassinating certain people and they were trying to figure out what was going on or something like that that could be kind of interesting but i'm just falling down the uh, rabbit hole of uh fan art (laughs) <laughs> some really fucked up shit. Oh, I I <laughs> bet. That, that, that Kirari, Batgirl, 
Yeah, I don't know why I'm doing this to myself. The government's probably watching me right now. Um, <laughs> it's so funny to me that people can be halfway decent artists and like, I've worked for 10 years studying anatomy, composition, coloring. I'm going to spend three days putting together an amazing pinup of Batman grabbing Catwoman's tits. <laughs> and I'm going to post it on DeviantArt and I'm going to get a ton of likes. Like you're not a halfway decent, uh, you're not a, you're not a bad artist. Like it's just so funny to me that you're you've kind of made it halfway, and you're like, I'm going for porn. Yep. Hey, <laughs> you know, it can be very lucrative, I guess. <laughs> we had a furry uh, in school with us. Um, I think his name was Kelvin the Lion. Oh. Uh, yeah, he looked. That's what he called himself, and he had long. He had Dog the Bounty Hunter type hair. Oh before boy, Dog the Bounty Hunter. To his credit. <laughs> And, uh, you know, not for nothing, he put himself through Savannah College of Art by doing furry uh, commissions for people. Um, yeah, you know, man. it's a very small, you know, community at the time, especially because, you know, the Internet was still only like eight years old. So you know, mm-hmm. but he was on it and I guess he was making pretty good money actually drawing his art. So good for him. Yeah, man. Wherever you can get it. As long as you're not hurting anybody. <laughs> <laughs> no. Unless it's a corpse. Yeah. And then you're a necrophiliac. Yes. Yes. I, what, how, you know, it's, how long do you think it took for them to come up with the word necrophiliac? Like, you need to know there's a problem. <laughs> like, wait a minute. People are doing what? Is it just like some battlefield, some, you know, in the year zero, the general wakes up, sees a bunch of dead bodies, and he's like, you know, where's my number one? And he goes, oh, my God. And he sees them just, like, gangbanging a pile of corpses. Like, how... What was the first time another human being discovered another one banging its corpse? That's a great question. Great question. And, I mean, and then to think like, oh, shit, this is a thing. Like, you didn't have the internet or books back then to look it up to know that other people had this affliction. Like, they must have had a weird, you know, religious mumbo-jumbo myth- mythological way to describe that phenomenon, you know? Yeah. You know, I think I'm happy we're not going to be interviewing Kevin Conroy. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, question. Kevin, Kevin's got to know. <laughs> when do you think the first necrophiliac was discovered? Like, what generally, what era of history? Again, who knows? Oh, yeah. Maybe that's the stuff he wants to talk about. Maybe he's sick of talking about Batman. I want to ask him how long he's been gay. <laughs> I mean, I think generally, probably his whole life, if I had to guess. I know, I know. I uh, it came out. Um, I mean, I only, I did not know that at all. And obviously, I no, care. I didn't either. I, got, yeah. I literally have like sixty gay friends. Um, I think it's fantastic. I don't care, but I had no idea, and I don't know why I didn't know if he just doesn't parade around saying that to people or whatever. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Um, because we had talked about it briefly in our on our text thread with some of our other friends, and at least one of them seemed to know previously. So yeah. I didn't know if it was something that was well known. Because yeah. I, when I yeah. when I had read it, I thought it was oh he he was just coming out. That's which is fantastic. Yeah. But I but I guess it was something yeah. that it was out there, but just not widely talked about. Not that it needs to be widely talked about, but right. Yeah, I thought it was news and thinking he's in his 60s. He Poor guy, I didn't think he could come out until now. Um, hey. I mean, George Takai has been like leading the charge since what, the 70s <laughs> or sooner? Hey, Elvira just revealed she's been living with a woman yeah. for 20, 20 years and she's in her 70s now. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it just sucks that you feel like you can't yeah. say that. I mean, you and I are younger generation, so being gay is like not as big of a deal for us as it is to our parents. But yeah, it just, yeah. 
I thought it was really I'm, funny with with Elvira because in some of the interviews that I had read with her about that, she was like, "Well, you know, I didn't know how my fans were going to react," and I was like, "I don't think you realize what your fan base is if you think people are going to yeah. care about that." <laughs> you know, for someone who she seems to be really smart and know her audience pretty well mm-hmm. and know her brand extremely well and carved out this really unique like Madonna-esque career for herself for four decades. Yeah. Um, you should have known that you're only going to make your fans more horny if you're actually bisexual. <laughs> I mean, hello. I would just lie and say you were bi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Money. I think, you know, when it comes to that stuff, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's now it's personal. It's not the character, you know, and I think that stuff, can, right. there's always going to be a level of hesitancy and, um, yeah. Uh, self-consciousness yeah. when it comes to anything about revealing yourself to uh, to the public who only knows you as yeah. a, a certain character. I was um, at a convention uh, and I knew the promoters pretty well and Elvira was one of the uh, guests mm-hmm. and he was talking about how, you know, she needed to get, to put on her Elvira stuff and it takes a while, of mm-hmm. course. I mean, mm-hmm. her hair is really high and then they needed to actually provide, she asked for a car to take them across the street because um, it was really windy out and she didn't want her hair to blow over because then it would lose the effect mm-hmm. and some of the guys were pissed because it's like oh this princess can't walk one block to her signing jesus christ we paid her all this money to get here and my friend who was running everything he was like fuck you her hair is part of it she needs this like right. she's a very low maintenance actress she's very nice like the fact that she's asking for this she you can just tell that she doesn't do this very often but it's just windy as hell out there so they got her a car just to take her like a block, basically. And uh, as far as I can tell, everyone there had a great time meeting her. And she's just a great person to hang out with, I guess. Yeah, she seems pretty awesome. I uh, I listened to her book on tape um, last year. It's really good, man. She's lived a hell of a life. It's really interesting stories and uh, not all good ones. But uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a good read. Yeah, huh. I should know more about her. Yeah, I don't really know a whole lot, actually. When yeah. I saw her without makeup, I was like, damn. I mean, she, even as an older lady, I was like, you look fantastic. She looks so different with the makeup on. Um, yeah. Like, I I don't know if I would have, unless unless someone pointed out to me, oh, that's Elvira, I don't think I would have guessed that it was the same person. She uh, corinned us, didn't she? Yeah, a little <laughs> bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a friend named Corinne Howell who's an artist, and she is she would call herself a tomboy, and she hangs out like she's a little sister kid to us. Um, and uh, she went to her sister's wedding and put on all this makeup, and we did not recognize her nope. at all. Like, picture glamour shot times 10. Uh, yeah, and it totally threw us off. So uh, we're kind of hoping that's the last time she ever wears makeup. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, what would you what would you rate this one? <laughs> I'm gonna go four. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm gonna go four too. I think this has a nice amount of callback stuff without being too like the episode. I was a little bit surprised that the the episode wasn't more about that stuff. Like, there's mm-hmm. not really you get a couple scenes of it, but it's not really about. Batgirl relitigating the past with Bruce or anything or about her husband finding out what she used to do if he doesn't know or anything like that but it was just enough spice to make the uh the story more intriguing um and then you get that really nice moment at the end where where she uses the batarang to uh yeah to that was get, cool. get one up Kirari yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. I you know, I think if this was season 1 of the animated series, this would be a 3 for me. Yeah. But for Batman Beyond, I'm going to grade on a curve because if this isn't a 4, I don't know if we're going to have many 4s. Yeah, so. I would agree. I would definitely Yeah, agree. I I know I I don't know I feel bad cuz there's a lot of people who are listening to this who love this show. I again, I need to see someone tell me exactly what it is that they love so much about it because I like it a lot, but I don't love it. You know? Yeah, I mean, maybe this is a conversation to save for the first season recap, but uh, which would right. be which we'll be doing next episode as we finish round out the season with Ascension. But um, I don't know how often I would come back to this series, and oh. and maybe that's completely just a generational thing where you know you and I grew up more on the original. But I also think it's a quality thing because I, I just don't know if there's – for me anyway, there hasn't been any stories that make me go, you know what I really want to do is watch that one episode of Batman Beyond. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll rewatch a handful of the animated series every year. Mm-hmm. I'll put it on the background just because the music is so good and you know, the act, all that stuff is just so nice to be around it. But this – like I don't want to be around this music. <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to be around this music let's get that on the the back of the box for the next dvd version that comes out and i like synthwave i don't know i guess Mm -hmm. this is this is yeah the music is it's just too stuck in the late 90s early 2000s like uh techno metal thing which uh you know hasn't aged super well for me anyway but yeah, but I like White Zombie a lot, mm-hmm. and KMFDM, and a few of those bands. I think I am sort of the, the audience for this, mm-hmm. and it's not getting me. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. I know. I was surprised. <laughs> I was surprised when the guy from Seals and Croft died. Uh, someone had mentioned the Summer Breeze song, and you said, "Yeah, the only version you knew was the typo negative version." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. I was listening to Typo, and I'm like, man, this is a good song. And then I was in a an uh, antique store, and they were playing this other version. I'm mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. It's like some old-timer guy covered Typo Negative. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, Typo Negative did a cover. Yeah, yeah. That, se- that seemed to be kind of like a, a thing. Was it, Who was uh, – didn't one of those bands cover The Sound of Silence? The, uh, oh, man. Paul Simon? Yeah, you can – you can do a deep dive on Spotify, which I've done, and find these, um, yeah, like they'll redo these old folk songs or Cats in the Cradle with Ugly Kid Joe and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I'm a sucker for that stuff. It rarely is it, do they, rarely do they add anything good to it though, yeah, you know? Yeah, You know, oh man, the one that was the most, I don't know what I was expecting from this, but the most disappointing one of those I've ever heard was the Limp Biscuit cover of, um... Behind Blue yeah, Eyes. Faith. Oh, okay. No, their version of Faith is great. Uh, but they did a cover of <laughs> Behind Blue Eyes for, um, I don't know why I remember this, the the Halle Berry movie Gothica that okay. came out in like the early 2000s. Anyway, you know, Limp Bizkit, known for being a heavy band, Behind Blue mm-hmm. Eyes is really uh, known, or at least I think it's known, for having that acoustic version the acoustic opening and then it kicks into that like heavier who 
aspect of it like halfway through the song and so i'm listening to this cover and i keep waiting for it to change gears i'm like i mean they'll probably do that part pretty well it never changes gears they do the entire thing as like a like a low-key almost acoustic thing (laughs) i just thought that's cool what i know it was terrible i thought it was awful (laughs) no all right never mind sorry (laughs) because like it took all the dynamics out of the song and i was like uh what are we we even doing here i um was trying to find if there's any interesting covers of the Phil Collins song. Um, Can you feel it come through the air tonight? Oh, what's it called? Yes, in the air tonight. There is yeah. the only Thank one you. that I know of was yeah. in the uh, Miami Vice movie. Right, and I think I found that one. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I I don't. I think they might have done it specifically for the movie, and it just. I think that that's true. Yeah, it just doesn't it's, work. That's. Some songs, it's impossible to do a cover because that song is mostly quiet anyway. Like, yeah. there's not a lot of instruments there. It's a lot of quiet moments and missing beats and all that. Like, that's what the song is based off of. There's really no way to redo it. Um, or I should say it's really hard to redo it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas some songs, like, one of my favorite covers is still when the band Cake covered I Will Survive. Oh, yeah. No, that's great. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Like some some songs just lend themselves to being covered and tweaked, but like there's nothing to work with with in the air tonight. And there's a few of them uh, from the 80s. Um, like you got to have faith. Mm-hmm. When uh, Limp Bizkit tried to cover that, I was like, no. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I liked it at the time just because it was, that was my, everybody, me and everybody else's first introduction to them. And I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. Uh, yeah. The one actually that I also loved because I, since for the longest time, I was like, someone needs to do this. And somebody finally did it was um, a heavy remake of uh, a cover of Smooth Criminal, the uh, Michael Jackson song. And that band huh. Alien Ant Farm did it. And I was like, yeah, this is great. It works perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. I think I do like that one. Yeah. You mentioned it. I, I will yeah. say, if you're going to cover Phil Collins, I feel like you have to be going through a divorce while you do it. Otherwise, you're missing a very <laughs> a very crucial element of what makes Phil Collins work. So um, I remember at the apprenticeship when we first uh, – we, we already knew each other. But at the apprenticeship, I was putting on music because, you know, we had to listen to something. Mm-hmm. And uh, my uh, reggae mix of Pink Floyd came on. Mm-hmm. And you are – you said you were not a huge Pink Floyd fan. Um, but a reggae version of it was actually pretty interesting. And you, had, you said you had a friend who was uh, obsessed with Pink Floyd and he would love this. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because I don't like reggae and I don't like Pink Floyd. But if you put them together, hey, I get you, no. you got a stew going, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I can do reggae for maybe an hour if I'm out in the deck with a drink and then mm-hmm. I got to switch it over to something else. Like, yeah. Yeah. The, um, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say going to change the subject. So you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the um, <laughs> the most annoying playlist I ever came across on Spotify was um, what was it called? It was like indie rock covers or something like that, and it was twenty five songs that were all essentially those depressing, slowed down versions of songs they use in movie trailers now. And I made it through like three of them, and I was just like, "Oh Jesus, I need to listen to something else. This is so, this is awful." Because they they're all the exact same thing. It's it's all the right. same pace. It's all the same like drawn out, low <laughs> lyrics, smooth criminal. You know, it's yeah. just it's so it, like it it works for dramatics 
your mileage may vary the way they use it in, in uh, movie trailers, but at least it works to some extent there. But if that's what you're sitting down to listen to, ugh. <laughs> I know. That's when I bought that Mazzy Star record. I was like, oh, yeah, I like her hit on MTV. And I listened to the whole thing. I'm like, Jesus Christ, fucking cut me up, cut my veins open and let me bleed <laughs> out. It's so depressing. <laughs> Music. Oh, I thought she would have had a few more upbeat ones. Or when I bought um, the uh, Cranberries record because it had the song Zombies oh, on it. Sure. Like, All right, this, plan, this band knows how to rock. That is their only rock song. Mostly it's a lot of like Celtic country folk type stuff. Yeah, and, man. And, you know, you don't like Irish Langer? stuff. It's, I I appreciate that for different reasons. Like I think that band is more Linger is more their thing. Like yeah, that is what yeah. their whole catalog sounds like. Zombie is the outlier, you know, and that's what pissed me off at first. So I was like, I thought this was another L7 or something, you know. Yeah. You know who actually um pulled a bit of a fast one is uh the the group that does the song Love Fool, you know, Love Me, Love Me, Say That. No. The Cardigans. <laughs> That yeah. song was obviously a huge like pop hit, but their actual yeah. album stuff is a lot kind of harder edged. Right. And on the same album, I think, as that hmm. song, they have a cover of a Black Sabbath song that is fucking awesome. It's really, really? good. Yeah. Oh, man. Send it to me. Uh, text me a link on the Spotify. I will. I, I will. Yeah. Do you ever go down? Um, I think I talked about this before. You go into YouTube and you find um, song mashups. Oh, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was always really fascinated by what song works. Like, there's one with uh, Snoop Dogg mixed with the soundtrack of Grease, which is strangely <laughs> awesome. And then another one, it's uh, Cypress Hill mashed up with Dusty Springfield with uh, Son of a Preacher Man. Oh, interesting. Um, and that's not a hard one because Cypress actually sampled that song in one of their early records anyway. But... It still is cool to hear, like, oh, yeah, the sweet 1960s, like, oh, man, 90s, uh, you know, I don't know what you call 90s rap from mm-hmm. white guys, <laughs> or just one white guy, actually. There's um, there's a really good one that I came across that was, uh, um, Thunderstruck, ACDC Thunderstruck, mixed with uh, Ghostbusters. I send you that? I think you might have, yeah. Oh, no, yeah, no, I sent you the one with Ministry in it, but Ghostbusters, I want to hear that one. Yeah, that, that one's good. It. That sounds good. It sucks is you can't get the stuff on Spotify because the people who mix them don't own the licenses to right, the song. Right. So yeah, it's kind of I have like a YouTube listening list which is very 2008, but yeah, it is what it is. Yep. Yep. Um. Yeah. I, I actually I did want to ask you about more about comic book creators and their spouses and like how many people are actually like with someone who is supports them or is like uh, help helps in their career in some ways or how many spouses like don't give a shit and just sort of the different different types of relationships you see in comics with a, someone who's a creative type and their spouse who isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you ever had anything to say about that. Um, eh, not necessarily. Um, I think it's, it's all obviously uh, situation to situation. It's nice to have a healthy disconnect, I think. Um, but also, if you're both involved in the same thing, I think that can be good too. Uh, See, I've not seen that work as well. Yeah, I, I think there's more. So there's a handful of different types of cases. <laughs> I don't mean to sound all forensic all of a sudden, but you've got um, you know a lot of single people. Of course, it doesn't count. You have people who are. Uh, 
dating or married and they're both in the same field. And I find people who are dating, it oftentimes doesn't work out because one member is way more um, successful than the sure, other. Sure. And even though you claim, oh, I'm not asking them to get me a job at Marvel and DC, I know you're not, but it would also be it would be kind of nice if they did. Sure. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and the more fights you have, and like the the different, uh, I don't know. Like I've seen a lot of uh, people who tr- start dating other people in comics. I generally don't think those relationships work out. But you've got Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor, been mm-hmm. married forever, and uh, it was a handful of successful cases, of course. Um, but then there's another type where the the usually well, there's a lot more male creators in comics, so I'm just going to assume the for the sake of this argument, that the creator is a guy. And I've seen a lot of wives who seem like they have nothing to do but follow their husband around and dote on him. and Or even more, they, they take uh, charge of the business. Mm-hmm. Like, they are the secretary, they do the phone stuff, they do the business, they call up, they collect checks. Like, they're following in the wake of their husband. Just whatever my husband needs is what I do, and that's, that's their thing. Mm-hmm. Which, hey, you know, if that's you, that's cool, too. Um, and then the third type is someone like uh, Rick Leonardi, who's married to a doctor, which is the smartest thing you could possibly do <laughs> as an artist. <laughs> uh, and sitting down with them at dinner and chatting with her, it's like she has really, she, in a way, she has no idea who her husband is or what his art looks like or anything about comics. And she's just very, um, not curious or mystified, but you know, she's been around. The, I mean, Rick Leonardi's had a career for over 30 years, and she must have been to a few shows. But sure. uh, when I met her, it was like it was like meeting a doctor who didn't belong in a convention, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was super sweet and all that, but you could tell she had no uh, emotional interest in what her husband did at all, which is fine too. Yeah, yeah. No, I you know I think it's all with it with any relationship. I think it's all about respect and uh, and. Uh, doesn't mean you have to completely understand it, but as long as you don't belittle it, I think uh, you're probably on the right track. Yeah, I used to get annoyed at my friends who were living off their spouses um, because, and I was just jealous because I, my my wife lives off of me most mostly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hopefully, she's not listening. Um, no, she's got her own career and all that stuff, um, but. I'm the breadwinner, and um, so if there's any financial, re- well, let me start over. <laughs> <laughs> so I you should can keep this in. I there. should edit from <laughs> one hour. <laughs> so write it down for now. I'm gonna see if I can dig myself out of this. Uh-huh. Um, but I remember meeting a couple in comics, and he was a sort of talented guy who was really not making a lot of money and not good at business. And, you know, suffered from typical artist syndrome where he was just super creative and didn't want to bother with the the paperwork type stuff. And his wife um, was working a full time job and she was providing insurance and she was also his secretary, like doing everything for her husband. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, getting really pissed off on the car ride home and being like, damn, like it just pisses me off with like because I had to do this all alone. I never had anyone to lean on. And so many people I know have a girlfriend or whatever supporting them. And uh, I don't know. It's not a good look for me to get pissed off at this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. But I think I, and what I realized was like 80% of people I know in comics are living off their spouse in some way. Um, and it's just the way it is. Unfortunately, comics just doesn't pay enough. And this is just a burden that a couple takes on. It's not really a judgment on the people. It's a judgment on the industry, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, 
I don't see. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. <clears throat> as someone who does that himself, uh, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, but uh, yeah, I I think it's yeah, it is unfortunate that the industry generally doesn't. I mean, it barely supports one person, let alone two people, unless you're in like the top one percent. You know, mm. um, and it, people find figure out different ways to to make it work if they can. You know, whether it's doing a billion jobs or having a day job or lucky lucky enough to have financial support coming from somewhere else it's you know it's you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do i guess i had a guy reach out um he's a listener of this podcast mm-hmm. and he had a death in the family and had an uh, inheritance and um i don't remember if he told me how much it was but it, it seemed like it was a lot and I said, well, if you really want to get into comics, I don't know why you don't just, um, you know, take six months, do a four-issue graphic novel, and then kickstart it. Um, you could pay yourself out of your inheritance and just, you know, I don't know who died or what the circumstances were, but if this is your chance to um, use your, to turn this bad situation into a positive, the person who passed away, maybe they would have wanted you to do this. And it never even occurred to him to use this money to take a chunk of it to support himself mm-hmm. while he gave this comics thing one last shot because it seems like he'd pretty much had it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting that like if you people are so desperate to get into comics that the poverty doesn't scare them off, the lifestyle doesn't scare them off, and they'll even like dip into inheritance to try to make headway. You know, like they love yeah. it that much. Yeah, honestly, I. I uh, I envy that drive. Mm-hmm. Well, I do and I don't because I I have been personally so close to jumping off the ship so yeah. many times that um, I I envy that that uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for drive drive isn't the right word because it's not like i don't have the drive fortitude. but the fortitude yeah yeah I, well i guess it's like <clears throat> yeah i i, I it, it it has to come down to a passion thing because like mm-hmm. if it didn't i would have quit years ago you know uh and so to see people who are what's the diplomatic way to say this um have a longer road ahead of them than maybe right. I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not enough gas in the car, let's put it politely, um, continue to drive, I find admirable, but also at the back of my head, I'm like, uh, what is it that keeps you? Like, what knowing knowing how difficult this is to do as a career, what is it that keeps you keeps you going sometimes when it in in those situations where it's like well you know i you know i got some money i can spend you know i don't i don't know what the 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 talent level of this person you're talking about was at but it's just one of those things where it's like i'm i don't know it i i i envy it but i also don't i guess yeah yeah i think the reason that people don't give up on comics i think they come in excited and they get a little bit of success or they start doing commissions and mm-hmm. it feels like they're on their way to be a, being a pro. Yeah. 
and then they make friends at conventions and they feel like they're part of the community now. And as the years go by, it gets harder and harder to leave your community. It's like yeah. leaving a family. It's it's almost not about the comics anymore. A lot of people in comics don't even read comics anymore. They have yeah. no idea what the events are. Like, look at me. Like, I don't. There's a whole lot I had to learn about Batman <laughs> through you uh, <laughs> to write Batman. Um, it it's sort of unfair that I reached the point where I'm at and I haven't. I actually don't consume a lot of comics anymore. But that's a lot of people who have made it to the top. Is mm-hmm. they just, you know? So like, is it really the love of the characters? Maybe is it that they just love sitting down and drawing? I mean, maybe I don't know, but I think mostly it's like it's scary to leave. Yeah, and yeah. it's like it's scary to break up with someone. It's scary to get a divorce or whatever. You know, it's just like I don't want to leave. It's familiar. I feel like I'm here, and I don't really want to wrap my head around leaving this thing completely and getting a job at Starbucks yeah, forever. Yeah. You know, like I think that's what it's not. Maybe it's some kind of stubbornness. Well, yeah, I, know I know what you would call that. On on my part, I, I I have built it so that I have literally no other options. So <laughs> I, have, I have no other yeah, applicable skills where I, I, this either works or I I I, I don't do anything. Um, no, but like I, anytime I've, it's it's one of those things though where it's like anytime I've thought about quitting seriously, I I know I know that if I did, it would have to be like a hard cut, like. I, because I don't know if I could go to a convention and walk around and see people I knew tabling and, and making comics and, and not want to immediately yeah. just leave because I feel like I quit yeah. or I, I yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it would have yeah. to be. Luckily, luckily, you know, our friend group that we have has more to talk about than just comics. Otherwise, if, if I were to quit, I would be like, well, I don't know if I can hang out with you guys anymore. Oh yeah, every day I'm like, thank God they're talking about wrestling again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just keeping uh, you honest. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, if this is a, a family and a community and a culture that you've joined, part of the cost to keep uh, your membership card is you have to be working on something, yeah. even if it's not paying money. You know, uh that's you don't want to show up and have done nothing for an entire year because after three years people are going to be like, why the hell is that guy still here? Like, what has he done? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's just hanging out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to at least pretend that you're you've got a few irons in the fire, you know. So mm-hmm. people maybe will do work for free just so they feel like they can still go hang out at the circus with the people who have made it or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, and everyone's different, obviously, but I just think there's some interesting psychology yeah. happening here and. For the spouses to, to be able to tolerate, I mean, uh, if you know, if my wife wasn't making any money writing romance novels, and she is, she doesn't need me. Um, I would eventually say to her, "Hey, you, I, I love you. It seems like you've given this a fair shot. It's not working. Wouldn't you be happier trying something else that makes you feel successful?" You know, which is not an easy conversation to have. But I know a lot of male creators whose spouses were like resented comics because. They saw it as like there's this thing that is a, sucking up my husband's every waking minute. He's up late drawing pages. You know, people are attacking him on Twitter. It doesn't pay well. Like they don't understand why the hell it's like this addiction that their spouse has, and they want them to get free of their addiction because it's hurting themselves and their family in other ways. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I think you have. I, I know to... some spouses who definitely view it that way. Oh, sorry. No, no. I was I was gonna say I think you have to um, figure out how to compartmentalize things and also how to be realistic about certain things. Like I, I've, I know I've, I've said this before, but when I 
decided to start writing and publishing my own book years ago, like I, I knew what that was going to mean. I knew that I wasn't going to be making money. I knew that I was, it was going to be a lot of work for little reward for a long time. And you just have to be realistic about stuff. Uh, and when you, when you get into this thing and on the other hand though, one of the reasons I don't think I can, I can quit is because like I just, some people just have a drive to want to make things and tell stories. And I, I, it's something that I have, it's just something inside me that has to happen. You know, whether, whether it was, if I quit comics, I would be doing, even if I wasn't getting paid for it, I'd be writing something or drawing something or or doing something. It's just something, a means of expression that I think some people just have to do. Yeah. And if you can do that, you know, and, and the trick is figuring out either how to be have a successful career at it or figure out a way to, to have a career doing something else, but also find the time to express yourself doing art and telling stories. I think about if I, uh, if I lost my arms or if I couldn't draw anymore or something like that, mm-hmm. what would I do to make money? And I thought I would just start writing like just novels and, um, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think with where I've reached at this point in my career, I could probably just kickstart a novel just something cheap, you know, uh, people, I could probably just skirt by for the rest of my life, Mm -hmm. just being a novelist of some kind. Um, yeah, it's just so much easier than drawing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, I think about that stuff too. Cause like I have, I have a history of arthritis in my family and it's like, well, unfortunately, possibly sooner than later, I don't know if my hand is going to work the way that I want it to anymore. And so that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to get into writing is because, you know, it's, you can, you can do, there are other ways to, to write something down than with a pen. Unfortunately, at this point, there is no other way to draw anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're getting to the point where you can tell your computer what to draw. That's true. I'll just just post it on Instagram. I'll just make a comic (laughs) out of using those AI generated nightmare fuel things. (laughs) My next comic will be, my next comic will be Robocop in an ice cream shop, uh, serving ice cream to, uh, Elmo from Sesame street or something. You saw that one too. What is that doing around the internet, man? (laughs) I tried to make one with I put in Carl Sagan and Ferrari, and it was not at all what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes you you nail it, sometimes it nails it, and sometimes it's just like I don't know. <laughs> yeah, imagine if you overwhelm the equation with too many words, it just short circuits or whatever. Yeah, I saw a good one today actually that was uh, RoboCop in World War One, <laughs> which which Probably. actually worked pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> just his face on a tank or something yeah no it was just him hanging out with soldiers in the trenches and stuff nice um oh man but anyway we may as well wrap it up for today uh sounds good yeah i uh thank you guys for listening uh if you want to help support the show you can head over to patreon.com slash the penske file where you can um sign up for our patreon which uh has tons of podcasts that myself and wes the host of the penske file podcast have done over the years as well as the horror movie series that amanda and i from rotten horror picture show have been doing we've got a couple things on there that sean and i have done batman related um we appreciate everyone who listens and everyone who supports the show and uh thank you sean 
Thank you, Clay. And we'll be next time. We'll be back next time with Ascension, which is the final episode of season one, and we'll do a bit of a uh, season one wrap up. So uh, we'll see you then. Let me die, bro. Stop. Three.